Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com Spotify. TommyJohn.com Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Hello and welcome. This is episode 146 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. This episode is with the fantastic... Shola Amo, the director of The Last Tree, um, the Bitha winning the British Independent Film Award for Best Actress and for Best Actor, is also nominated many other categories as well. And Shola is the winner, uh, the Writers Guild of Great Britain Award for 2020's just won this for Best Screenplay for The Last Tree. The film was also nominated for the Grand Jury Prize at the Sundance Film Festival. And the director, Shola Amo, joins us to chat about his film The Last Tree which is available now and I highly recommend you watch this movie it is a stunning piece of independent filmmaking um, and Charlotte is a great guy and hey you're going to enjoy this podcast you really are we are well into 2020 now or certainly January of 2020 anyway for me it feels like we're in it it's happening so what have you done so far this year to make your film dream a reality what have you done if you've done nothing in general and gone, oh, people are slow, getting back to me, or oh, I had to catch up with other stuff, money's tight this year so far. Yeah, I get that. But at the same time, that doesn't help you to get your dream happening. Don't sit and watch Netflix for hours at end. You could be writing your script. You could be setting your pack up. You could be finding a list of investors. That's what I want you to do. I want you to be inspired. That's why you listen to this podcast, I hope, in some way. Because you need to do that. You're a filmmaker, so go out there and make your film. Make it happen. Make it happen for you, because I believe in you. Um, and hopefully you believe in us as well. And if you want any advice, get in touch with us at The Filmmakers Podcast, because we want you to make it happen. That's why we set this up, this podcast, for you. It's free. Take the most from it. Get the most from it. And get in touch and let us know how you're getting on. I am Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director, and screenwriter. And our film, A Serial Killer's Guide to Life, that I produced, is available now. Thank you. Thank you so much to all those people who've bought it, reviewed it, and loved it, and given it all those shiny, lovely reviews we have got so far. Uh, if you haven't yet, go to aserialkillersguidetolife.com and you can see where it's playing in certain cinemas. And you can purchase that movie now that we worked our asses off to get it made. Um, I am also the director of The Dare, which is out on March the 3rd, worldwide, everywhere except 
the UK, which is out in October. But that's not a bad thing. No, it's not. That's a good thing. We can build up reviews and and um, and fans and everything else. And no, it's actually quite a good thing because it's going to be Halloween then. So you have to wait. Those in the UK, you have to wait. I'm sorry, but you do. The Dare, though, if you don't want to wait and you happen to be in Kansas, is going to be available for you to watch at the Panic Fest Film Festival this Wednesday the 29th. So if you're around that area, go check it out. Do us a favour and uh, let me know what you think. I'm also the director of my King Arthur project, Knights of Camelot, which is in post now. And for those of you coming down tonight... That's right, it's Tuesday the 29th to the Make Your Film event. There's the seventh one. We will see you there. We cannot wait. It's going to be a cracker. Um, for those of you who are missing out this time, you miss that. And the Make Your Film event is sponsored by Performance Insurance. You do need insurance for your films. All the links to everything like I've just been talking about are in the show notes. Go check it out. Just a couple of shout-outs first for those who have supported brilliantly this week. Uh, and if you do like this podcast and you do want to shout out or you do want to come on the podcast then get in touch at filmmakers pod on twitter or me at giles alderson and let us know about yourself and retweet us share this podcast go on itunes go on all the platforms we are on wherever you get your podcast and give us a nice review why not support if you can it's indie filmmaking that's what we do support each other so shout outs this week go to um john cowdell Kevin Pybus, Andy Mark Simpson, Diane Knight, Sarah Thomas, uh, Richard Lackey, James Hughes, and Miroslav Opik, and of course, Robbie McCain for editing this podcast. Thank you. And it is with him that I sit down and chat to the lovely Shola Amal about his film, The Last Tree. We talk about how it came about, his development as a filmmaker, his first feature film, and then moving on to The Last Tree and how it got into Sundance and how now it is doing ridiculously well for him. It's a really fun chat we had. I hope you enjoy because I enjoy chatting to him. So here we are. This is the 146th episode of the Filmmakers Podcast with Shola Amo. Enjoy. Shola, come on in. Grab a seat, grab a mic. Hi man, feel right? I'm good, I'm good. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, have you, um, do you live in London, right? Yeah, I'm South London, uh, Elephant Castle. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah. I had some friends who lived there for a while and I used to go there all the time. And hang out. when I first tried to start making films and we had no idea what we were doing, yeah. we'd go to their little house in, um, in yeah, Elephant and Castle and I'd take the bus all the way down the road. Well, with Road, right? Yeah, Wolf yeah. Road. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. we'd go into their little flat and try and come up with ideas for films. And just, <laughs> it was cute, but we had no idea what we were doing. Yeah. You know? God, it's like 20 odd years ago. Um, you lived there all your life? Um, not all. Like I've moved between like Bermondsey Elephant, and then I went to university in Northampton, so I was out of oh. London for like four years, and came back. Because that means you've lived pretty much London. You grew up in London all your life, mm. and then went to Northampton. Northampton's an interesting place, isn't it? It's very different. And I suppose was it? Did you do film there? Did you study anything? No, you know it's funny. I studied um I studied American studies initially. Um, American studies. Yeah, it's yeah. like really. American kind of political history, uh, civil rights, uh, Native American history, artistic stuff, like uh, watching a lot of films, like uh, at least Spike Lee films. And, yeah. um, reading just really interesting books like uh, Frederick Douglass' Slave Biography and, you know, just and, uh, really just a kind of political foundation in history, whether it's Malcolm X or Martin, that um, 
I didn't have in secondary school in the UK. But I ultimately switched from doing American studies to journalism. <laughs> and that's technically how I got into film because um, in journalism, you had to major in your final year in print, radio, or film. Yeah. And I, I did film, which was a documentary. And it was a documentary about a friend of mine who had been stabbed seven times. So wow. that was like my introduction to filmmaking. Wow. Okay. Fascinating. And then was that still at Northampton? Did you? Yeah, I was all at Northampton. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's super important to uh, to make that switch. And the skills that you learn, well, that I learned on that course were really, I found very transferable. That's interesting. What, uh, what specifically, anything for our listeners? Because our listeners are all filmmakers. They want to know about making films. So what specifics transferable from a journalism course? I find that yeah, really I interesting. Yeah, I think it's uh, sort of like, you know, critical reading, yeah. analyzing text, um, and um, applying that, especially in a documentary fashion, um, trying to create an, a narrative in a, to an extent, uh, but obviously in using real world environments and, and being able to ask the right questions, negotiate uh, people's skills, interpersonal skills, all of these things are very transferable. Mm -hmm. um, so just even the very basic things like when you're interviewing people, just taking time to listen and trying mm -hmm. to pick, read between the lines, op yeah. asking open questions, all of these th very small little techniques and tricks that were very, that very, I found very amenable to actual, especially when you move into actual narrative filmmaking. Mm. Um, so um, that documentary was really key because it was very much about a friend of mine, but a very tricky subject that was kind of spilling out in the streets of London at the time mm -hmm. and trying to find a way to contextualize what happened to him and frame it within the right social political context. Did you have the story first for that, like the, the thing that you knew you wanted to tell, or did you decide on the medium first? Like, did you did you kind of pick that you wanted to do film or print, you know, over print or what other yeah, options? That or was, was, it, was it the story first and then you decided, how do I best tell that story? Uh, in terms of the course, you had to major in your, like mm -hmm. your dissertation, for example, uh, had to be in either print radio or film. Mm -hmm. And I knew it would be film, moving image. And it's very lo-fi equipment. This is this is kind of like the days of like uh, PD one seventies and oh, all yeah. that sort of yeah. stuff and tape. And, <laughs> yeah, tape ones. And, yeah, and all that. Yeah. So I, you know, it was very much DIY. Do it yourself. Take the camera. Take the mic yeah. and go off to do your interview and build your story. And then you got to uh, log and capture it and, and all of that stuff. That <laughs> we use. I think we were using Final Cut at the time. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was very lo-fi but it was a fantastic introduction because uh i guess what i had at the time was really because it was a friend of mine had very uh good access to mm. to what i was to the story i was trying to tell and i could build that story using very simple tools but could experiment at the same time so it was very uh influential that whole process mm. Mm. so with the documentary then did you do it as a journalist sort of side of things so were you interviewing people who were involved in the situation were you involved H how did you set the whole thing up because i imagine people weren't that keen to be on camera talking about yeah it, it was actually quite funny uh, at the time uh, so i interviewed obviously my friend and uh, he would uh, he showed us the scars and where he had been stabbed the seven kind of punctual wounds in his body it, and it's, so it's just to be clear seven times in one in one go yeah and survived obviously and survived yeah, yeah. wow so so what the what I was interested in was you know at the time kind of similar to now it was very much the the media narrative was young black men in gangs this is what's 
that kind of association. Mm. He was just a guy, young black man, wrong place, wrong time. No gang affiliations, nothing like that. And it was important for him, for me to give him just a space to tell his perspective, his side, almost as a counterweight to the way it had been described in the media mm. predominantly uh, at that time and still now. And so that it came out of a, it was very politically motivated uh, piece of filmmaking. And so I interviewed him and got his perspective and showed the puncture wounds. And I think it was important for people to see exactly what can happen from a scenario like mm -hmm. that. Uh, at the same time, I interviewed community workers who had been engaged in trying to um, curb young people away from that kind of situation. And I, I think which was super important, managed to interview a police officer. Uh, and he, at the time, had collected all of these knives from a knife amnesty, which is a situation where you're all allowed to hand in your weapons with no questions asked uh, wow. to the police. And so I interviewed him in this room and he just brought out this box or, and laid out all of these weapons that had been collected from the amnesty. And I swear there was like a samurai sword. Oh <laughs> and it's not funny, but it kind of, no, but, but, yeah. but it was like, wow, it's just like, how do you walk around with that? Like, but yeah, where does it go? Where does it, mean, where's it, where's it go? Uh, but, but that's a great kind of image or like a visual yeah, it was, way it of was really a, showing the kind of showing, situation. Yeah. yeah. And he would go, he went through all of the weapons and would explain what they were and how they and you might think it's a knife it's basic but you got these kind of like i remember at the time he was showing me the flip knife and all these different type of things mm -hmm. and what was mostly in, what i found really interesting about interviewing him is that you know his perspective was very much you know it wasn't too dissimilar from the media's perspective which was the one that i disagreed with um and it was interesting to try and have a conversation with him where we could try and maybe flip his perspective on on what he on how he perceived the problem basically and so all of that was very interesting and what i like about documentaries that you, you know it's very much about having to think on your feet mm -hmm. think very quickly and try and capture the moments um uh that that i still carry on to fiction filmmaking yeah see that's really interesting isn't it um i find you know, we, we make documentaries as well, and mm. it is a is a different medium to making film. But you bring so much of that to yeah. it, yeah. You know, especially the visual side or how you get a story out of someone, and it's not dissimilar to working with actors. Yeah. If you're interviewing someone, it's the first time they've maybe been on camera. You've, yeah. You, they're not just going to open up and suddenly start telling you everything. Yeah. And sometimes with actors, the same. You've got to try and eke out those really thoughts that are dark ones that might you might need. Yeah. And that that doesn't come like that. Yeah. Um, otherwise they might be faking it or not telling you a true story exactly, exactly yeah so that's really interesting you started in documentaries I think that's fascinating especially you know the last three is a sensational piece of work and you can see now how much I feel the documentary side's in there you know it's got yeah. that vibe to it you know, you could suddenly sit down with interviews and people talking to camera, yeah, you know. Yeah. It's sort of biographical. In that yeah, way. yeah, yeah. And there's almost that element to it, you know, yeah. at times. I find that really interesting. Okay, so you went from there, mm. from making this documentary. Mm -hmm. What did you do with it? How did you progress and go, I'm going to be a filmmaker? Well, you know, I came, I graduated and, you what know. What did like, you get? Did you do well? <laughs> I, did, I, I think I did well. Just. Like, I did. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I, I did well, but, you know. You know, uh, time's gone on. <laughs> It was, a t it was some time ago. Uh, it's the thing that nobody ever talks about. Know, that's that's I'm sure somewhere I even have it, the degree somewhere. It's just so funny how at the time it was such an important it piece of paper and yeah. now it's like... 
I find that it's true. <laughs> you, you just, just don't, no one ever it, asks you, do People just judge you on your no, last word. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah, have... Yeah, what GCSEs do you get? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter, does it? It's but, but these things, I think, operate more as rights as passage as anything. Yeah. So, um, and it's what you learn uh, in the process. But yeah, I graduated like... Um, and like everyone, you graduate from university pretty broke. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and with a mountain of debt. <laughs> yeah, a lot of debt. Uh, Thank you for this. Something now. everyone can relate to. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it was very much, okay, I want to put, uh, I'd been bitten by the, the, the filmmaking bug. And I was like, okay, how do I pursue this? Mm. So something really interesting happened with this, with this documentary. There was a festival uh, at the BFI at the time. I can't remember what it was called. And um, I would submitted the film to that festival. Uh, it got in and they screened the film. And uh, at the festival, there was uh, a representative from this company that doesn't exist anymore. It was called Current TV. I don't know if you guys will remember that. Mm. It was like, uh, I think it was set up by um, Al Gore or something. It was an investigative journalistic platform. And nice. they had a Sky Channel and they were buying content. And so they actually brought that film from me for a very small fee. It was but like a grand. Still, yeah, but still. But in the context it, yeah. of being postgraduate mm-hmm. and no just money. like no money, and this is your dissertation, it was, it was, a, it was a sweet deal. Definitely. And it helped. Uh, they put it onto their uh, online platform and in their sc- whatever was their Skype platform was and it's and so the film had some sort of like life which was really which was important just to make that connection in my mind that this can be a process mm. not necessarily about the amount of money i was paid but just the fact that you can be paid and you well, can make you can kind of make work and have there's a process to the work there is some sort of market there is some sort well. of market yeah. yeah and it was it was the first thing i ever made so it was like it just put a very healthy connection in my head mm. um i knew i wanted to somehow navigate into fiction filmmaking even then um but um again that had kind of budgetary constraints and all sorts of things you know the kind of back then i think the barrier to entry was like you know we didn't have access to capital to just go and make short films like mm. certain people could so what i did is actually went to theater and i did some playwriting at this i did the soho and uh roy court young yeah, writer right. group so did yeah. I, brother. So oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so i did those and those are super useful because again you're learning the nuts and bolts of storytelling they're mm-hmm. telling you character they're telling you plot they're telling you everything that you need to know it was incredible yeah. you know this as those uh girls i was telling you about at the beginning yeah about how i went down in walworth road that i met them at this uh, royal court young writers program and we amazing. said let's set up to do some films amazing well that you, the, you know the benefits of it and, it's huge yeah and it really i found it I, I guess i found the soho one just slightly more helpful in the sense that um they would select the three plays they wanted to have a performance mm-hmm. and yeah. so i had a court didn't do that you they could they, they, reading, yeah, you right? could, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah exactly so the Soho one meant that I had a performance and it technically would have been the first time working with actors. I didn't direct it, but I got to be, as the writer, I got to be in the room with the director, with the performers mm-hmm. and just, you know, doing your process, taking, making edits and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And just seeing what was working, what wasn't. Mm-hmm. Do you and remember it, what year this was-ish? God, it should have been 2009, 2010. Okay. I fine, think fine. around that time. Like, yeah, maybe 2008-ish. Ish. Yeah. 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 Between that period, yes. Uh, but um, yeah, it was. Uh, I remember. I think this was the. This was Metamorphosis. Was the name of the play. That's right. Yeah. 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 And um, 
it was we had the performance it was it was well received and it just gave me confidence in terms of writing because um, this is this is something about filmmakers that you know when we set out to be filmmakers yeah. with this whole process of writing suddenly stops so many people because mm. you go well how am I it's great I want to go make a film but mm. hang on I need a story and then I need someone to actually write that to a high mm. enough standard mm. as mm. well mm. and there is these courses accept, um, you know around that people can go on and mm. learn how to write in a sensible way yeah and I think it gives you all that confidence to go, well, okay, I can go make a short now because actually my writing's fine. It's yeah. acceptable yeah. to move forward. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, it gave me a lot of uh, confidence in mm. that sense. And um, so I was like, okay, this I had enjoyed that experience immensely. And I, I teamed up with a friend of mine um, and we decided that what we wanted to do was just try and set up a company together so that we could kind of capitalize on the kind of wave of... Um, lo-fi music videos that were happening around yeah. the time for like it was the almost like the early kind of ascension of grime and channel U that kind of platform mm -hmm. that was uh one of the key showcases of, of like urban work and so we set up a company and it wasn't like setting up a company with aspirations to like to have like a super great business it was literally just to create almost like an incubation incubation space mm -hmm. where we could have insurance take on a job, do a short music video for an artist who needs it yeah. and learn. And so we did that for uh, quite some time, um, just trying to raise enough money through what we were getting paid uh, to just each time we got a video opportunity, make one slightly better or try a different technique or mm. something like that. But you learn so much, you know, yeah. from making music because you can practice and try and it's almost yeah. that documentary style where you go, well, yeah. I'll put a little slant on it. Yeah, I'll do, exactly. I'll put my own vibe on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's true. Right? And it wasn't like, it wasn't like we were working with, um, say, uh, uh, you got a record label and there was a huge budget you know there was no one watching us we were working in a very kamikaze someone fashion someone giving you money yeah. out of their own pocket as yeah, well so exactly it's, it's a, just pressure from a different angle exactly, yeah, they're exactly. Like, no man this is my make it look good exactly yeah. so it was very much we had we just you, it's a good space to try and fail and you mm. know in, in that environment you can't the more often you fail it's actually a good thing because it's such to a degree such low stakes and it's just like you can mm. really test stuff out and so we did that for a while eventually raised uh, enough through being paid through that process to put some aside to make a very very low budget short film and, and that was ultimately the, the, the goal and so we made the, the short kind of lo-fi film called The Hydra which was like a, almost like a, uh, a noir set on an estate and so it was like black and white and it was just very much uh, playing around with those kind of noir uh, stereotypes that you see in, in those classic films. Mm -hmm. And it was very lo-fi. We, we, again, were working in a kamikaze fashion. Me and my uh, collaborator were like co-directing, co-cinematography, co, you know what it is. Co-producing. Just co-eating. All of that, all of that, all of that. And so um, we, again, put the film into a festival. It was... The, I think it was called the Black Filmmaker Festival in 2009 mm -hmm. and this was the last iteration of that festival I remember that because then did it become buff did it become the no it just, it just, just, just a totally just right, okay. disappeared and so um, what was good is we put it we put it in uh, but we were up against all these films from like at the time you had the film council 
and so we were up against films that had probably budgets of like 30,000 or something like that short films and uh-huh. uh, semi-famous actors in it and we just had us and with this very uh, lo-fi uh, <laughs> black and white uh, <laughs> noir movie so we did so suffice to say we didn't get any of the jury prizes but what we did win that was very important was the audience, audience prize audience award that's yeah. the one you won <laughs> yeah that is the one you won yeah and it was very important because on, uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a plaque or a trophy what the prize was was an internship at Film 4 oh wow, wow. so that made it and that was very useful yeah because what good mm. is a plaque or a trophy who I sees mean, that I mean you can yeah they they, <laughs> they have their merit I'm sure but I'm like but the internship was super important because um, that really opened up uh, it was paid and it also just opened up the process in a very interesting way mm. so you know it was like we'd be we were reading scripts we were in script production meetings and writing script reviews it was, and just meeting really interesting people in that mm. process um, and I remember at the time I read uh, Frank when yeah. I was there yeah. a very yeah, different version of film yeah. yeah I read uh, Attack the Block when I was there great mm. film yeah and I read um, I think it was uh, Richard Ayoade's first film Submarine Submarine mm. um, so it was very again it was very influential period just reading these scripts and um, Gosh, yeah. Yeah. seeing what was getting through their commissioning process mm. was really interesting. I think yeah. it's really interesting as filmmakers to read scripts as much yeah. as possible. We kind yeah. of, it's hard to do sometimes to sit yeah. and read someone else's and it's almost like, oh, am I wasting my time? I could be writing mine. But actually, no, you, mm. the more you read, the actual better it becomes. I think over Christmas, I read about five or six yeah. scripts. Uh, no, just it's, kept going. It's, kept going. It's really, it's really good. It's really, really useful, useful, isn't it? Um, and what was great out of coming out of that internship is I met people in that internship that I would collaborate with in one way or another later on. Mm-hmm. And so um, our, what happened after that was we were able to, I think the kudos of that whole process enabled us to accrue more funding, which was about 5K to do a bigger short film. Mm-hmm. And we did one. And at the time we had Ashley Waters was in it. Um, and, and he was already... already you know, somebody at that point, not quite where he is now with Topway and all that, sure, sure. but still uh, a notable figure. And it was definitely for us to step up because we were shooting on film. It was a 16 millimeter. Wow, nice. It was uh, DP, um, clearly compartmentalized. <laughs> the, like, how to, to, how to shoot. Yeah. Like, 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 it wasn't like us no. doing everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was very... Um, it was very professional to, to, for want of a better word. And this is called Reparation of the Show. Yeah, it's Reparation right? yeah. for the Show. Yeah. And so um, the process of making the film was interesting. And I think there were some wins and some failures in, in that short. But what was great about it from my perspective is that ultimately it's a short film that I would submit to NFTS to mm-hmm. go to film school. Right. So that was, again, it was a very uh, important moment to be able to make that short film and again, learn so much from the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at, again, it was me and another director. So up until this point, co-directing and collaborating together was mm. how I was working yeah. and just learning lots from that partnership as well. Yeah, well, because how can you not learn from someone else who's right yeah. next to you? How did you feel then doing that? Because, you know, I'd started co-directing when I first started. Yeah. As much as I loved it, there was also another part of me that was, okay, I just... That your ideas are also brilliant, but mm. I want it to just be my vision. Yeah, I mean and that can be really tough sometimes. No, it, it's absolutely so. Ultimately, um, 
me and, and my collaborator at the time, we made one more short film together after that, mm-hmm. um, which was produced by Fiona Lamptey, who's a producer who I met at my internship at Film 4. Right. So when I was at my first year at NFTS, because I did screenwriting at NFTS. So um, for my films, I still had to raise money, but I had all of the support and all the equipment and all that sort of stuff. So okay. if I wanted to make a film, had to raise the money and then enlist all of the support of all of the collaborators at school and all right. that sort but of stuff. But they didn't have to raise the money. They just got to make them using the... If you were a director at the school, you just, you just that was all supplied. Oh. If you're, hmm, if you're okay. a screenwriter at the school, you had to raise the money. Well, I, well, could you not, in that case, write something for one of the directors? Yeah, I didn't yeah. do that. <laughs> you were like, I want a director. No, right? it was very... Because I, 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 I had a interview... I remember I applied for both and I had an interview for both right. and then I... I screenwriting was what I got into and I was very happy because it was like to be honest what I really wanted to master the nuts and bolts with the stories I wanted to tell Mm. and so I knew whilst I was there I could I could enlist people to help me direct stuff you know to you know you're you're, it's an international film school with the best kind of cinematographers Mm -hmm. composers from from around the world so i I was never going to pass up the opportunity to direct whilst i was there yeah and and when i was there nick powell was running it and he was very Mm -hmm. very very rock and roll guy he's very cool knew i was just coming in to i told him i wanted to develop holistically as a filmmaker so i was going to be doing this and that and Mm -hmm. he was very supportive just like raise your money and you got all of this to, to play with so i just raised money and i think it's important to i've always had to raise money Yes. Um, it's never been a thing where it's just been kind of plonked on me. Which is a good thing, I suppose, yeah. in a way, that you learned from a very early age with yeah. your filmmaking is yeah. I've got to raise money myself, yeah. which means yeah. when you come to make your features, you go, well, I'm, I've already done this. Yeah. It's just a bigger side of it. Ab- right? Absolutely. I think it's, it's a real distinction because fast forward into the last tree, which is, you know, money I was given, there was a long journey of self-starting Mm-hmm. raising my own money to make the work and yeah. i think it's just very key to like producing as well as directing yes to get to that to the point where i was finally given a, a kind of commission to some degree well because you learn the ropes you learn you understand yeah. producing you understand what goes into it whereas if you're a director and you just get all the money where you go well someone else is doing that and yeah. why isn't it working why yeah. is, whereas you yeah. understand it exactly, exactly so when you come to direct you go okay there's a problem over there but i understand why there's a problem yeah. let's see if i can help yeah from your experience yeah and that was basically how it worked so my first year uh what you could call i guess my first year film uh was the film called the prayer it was the Mm -hmm. last time me and my collaborator would co-direct sure and it was produced by fiona lamptey who had who i'd met at film four who is now an independent producer yeah Yeah, and so um again it was shot on film and really a great learning curve in its own way uh but i got to that point where i felt that I was ready to go and start making my own stuff. Like mm-hmm. really, all of the films that we co-directed, I had written. So I felt like through the process, I was ready to just go and write and direct something like completely by myself. Mm-hmm. What were the sort of takeaways that you'd had from those shorts? Like what kind of key lessons had you learned or like things things to do or things maybe not to do? Um, of- I think... Um, I I think throughout those shorts, you're just trying to develop your aesthetic and your understanding of what it is that you do. Um, um, for me, it was very clear that um, 
there's a kind of rigidity to the system of filmmaking. And I was always trying to make it more like the experience of making docs, mm. where it's very fluid and you leave enough space in the schedule to capture it and it's not as a production line. Mm. Um, so that's what I learned mostly um, from the experience of making those, those shorts is how to try and curate the scenario so you can, there's space for discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I did do making the system work for you exactly exactly so so making it work for you so by the time I did do my uh, my first film by myself which was Touch mm-hmm. uh, which was like my graduation film from NFTS I had put enough in place to ensure that it could work for me and there was space for discovery with the actors there's space for discovery within the production um, it's still very structured but but there's space to discover things within that structure. And I think that was one of the key things and something that is continually replicated in all the projects that, that I move forward on to various degrees. Yeah, and it's mm. interesting you brought some of that team with you, you know, from mm. those early films in a mm. way to The Last Tree, you know, Tanya Fear being one. But, mm. you know, that I, I think that's really nice, isn't it? Those collaborations you have early on mm. you can then take with you if mm. they work and you find yeah. your tribe you find the people who work for yeah. you don't yeah. you and yeah. I think that's is clearly what you've done as well absolutely uh, and I think with you know I still it almost is kind of weird because I, I made all those sh- shorts uh, but Touch really felt like the first one like that was actually my my first I think what you're always looking for is a reflection of to some degree some sort of reflection of what your interests and tastes are in, in the finished product and I think Touch was the first time I saw that mm. And I think, but I had to build to that point. Uh, to and and once I once I saw that that's what was happening, it made me feel much more emboldened and and very fulfilled to want to go and just tackle any uh, project of, of probably larger scale. Mm. Um, but yeah, that touch was a very that's probably still one of the most important moments in the filmmaking. That's really interesting. If if you had just before touch, someone had. You know, you, all these things you've been applying to to get funding or whatever. Yeah. I imagine you were, mm. as I was. Um, if someone had said, "Yeah, here you go. Here's a mill. Uh, go make a feature," yeah. or even half a mill, do you think you'd been ready at that time, or are you kind of glad that it took the journey it did? I'm glad it took the journey it did. I think um, you, you can't like quantify what you're learning in that process. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, you can't no. really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you, you, you can say, oh, I, I, I may have used this kit. You can be specific and say, I used this kit or I shot on film instead of digital. And that's a very uh, tangible uh, difference. But there's all sorts of stuff happening on every project, even the ones you don't think were successful that you're learning, that you can't really like quantify no. the, the importance of so you know uh, probably if you ask me uh, if you ask me back then I'd be yeah sure give me the money <laughs> <laughs> but looking back retrospectively uh, it's been a very organic build for me when I see the kind of milestones um, and but touch was very important because I could actually it showed me I could fully execute on the idea Mm-hmm. keep the flexibility I like and still reassemble something of what my interest was initially and I think until you see that fully established you, you, there's always kind of lots of doubts about what you're doing mm-hmm. so I felt very comfortable after that film and that's what 
I guess, gave me the boost to try and tackle my first feature film. Yeah, which was a moving image. Which was a moving image, yeah. yeah. So from, did you almost start straight away developing that? Because I suppose it, it took maybe three years during uh, that time to get it out there, or maybe it was shorter, it depends on... It was pretty immediate because I graduated from NFTS 2013, and we I remember we shot the, you know, the crowdfund promo in 2014. Right. And so we the script would have been ready in that period. So it was pretty immediate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew it was always going to be Tanya as the lead. So I always started from that point. And um, my producer for that project, Rinky, uh, was born and raised in Brixton. And we'd always been having a lot, so many discussions about gentrification mm-hmm. because uh, I think the catalyst for me mainly was I was actually touring uh, Touch in, in the US a couple of festivals um, and the conversations that my contemporaries were having there were the same conversations that I was having here with my friends about Brixham Peckham and Elephant Castle and the Haygate Estate in terms of gentrification mm-hmm. was a really or regeneration was a classic example of a yeah, failure regeneration. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it was really it was really a terrible example of regeneration because no one a lot of the local people lost their their stake in the community via that process and so it was very much something that was on the tip of my tongue and walking past that estate every day was always the kind of like, I remember all of the kind of history of that space before mm-hmm. it became, before it was kind of like demonized as a sink estate, before it was in all of the gangster films, whether it's Harry Brown or whatever, yeah. do you know, it, yeah. it had it had community that mm. you didn't see, you know, it had yeah, yeah. a lot of vibrancy, you know, very important to the South American community in, in Elephant, which is huge and mm. so, I had a lot of um, fire in my belly about this whole concept of gentrification. It also features in Attack the Block as well, which you mentioned earlier. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. 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 Trying to, I, I remember them talking on the commentary. They were saying like, actually, bits of this don't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> when we filmed, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. It was a, the, what I always exp- refer to a moving image as is archive. Mm. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like really, it's, it's really, it? it's yeah. archive of spaces that have changed and, and spaces that no longer exist in that way. Mm. And so what was interesting about Moving Image was I didn't come, you know, your first feature for a lot of people can be a very curated event. You know, you especially if you're working within systems, mm-hmm. with bodies. And were you doing that on I Moving w- Image? I wasn't doing that on the Moving Image. It was 100% independent. Like it's the rare case where it's, your first feature and you're also the exact producer on it. So you self-financed. You're self-financed. Yeah. And so yeah. all of that kind of, um, all of that self-generating that I spoke of earlier mm-hmm. is fundamental to how you can kind of come up to a project like a moving image. It's because I was so used to fundraising, even though it was a feature, it, it didn't it didn't seem crazy to imagine raising some funds for, for a very experimental kind of feature mm-hmm. film. Well, how did you, how'd you go about doing that then? What's your process you've been doing for so long what would you do would you speak to the same people would you you know like you say you kickstarter but what yeah. else what were you doing I, I i i was very um very much inspired about by a lot of the kickstarter indiegogo campaigns i've mm-hmm. been seeing and i felt well if we can shoot a very cool promo video with tanya uh, in brixton mm-hmm. um something that isn't that is less of a plea and more of a well this is the world we would 
invite you into if you were able to donate money something that would entice people mm-hmm. then we you know stand a chance of being able to get picked up by some blogs and some support and spread the message and and so that we just you know the thing about crowdfunding is it is to some degree people always say it's something you should only do once and i feel like i understand what they mean by that <laughs> uh, and, and, I, and i think you should, to some degree i kind of uh, agree because mm. it's like most of the people who are going to give you money are friends and family people you know people in your sure. circle you mm-hmm. know you don't want to have to hit them up more like, than once again again, yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean so um it was really understanding the mechanisms of a crowdfund how like you need to get 20 percent in a soft launch before it goes public mm-hmm. so people see it's yeah. a moving train and when the psychology of it it's just, huge yeah you really have to immerse yourself it's like a mm-hmm. nine to five job yeah. it's not like just easy money you're really working that out yeah totally yeah it's yeah. cool i've done it main once and then jumped on other projects twice yeah. and it's it's a full-on process it's, it's a full-on it's process really got to stick at it and so knowing all of that we we just went for what we felt would be an achievable amount of money we knew a moving image would be part documentary mm-hmm. um and uh, the bulk of the money that was needed would be to cover some of the more fictional elements of it uh but you're looking at a film that um was ostensibly shot in about what 15 days maybe mm-hmm. um so it, in packaging it um it didn't seem crazy all pre- predominantly in that one uh, very cool location in Brixton uh got a good deal on that which was key you know because mm-hmm. without that loft yeah the yeah, whole yeah. thing wouldn't work you know it needed to be that kind of super gentrified so once we locked down certain elements um and worked out how we were you know how we were going to shoot certain things it, we could see how it could work mm. um and that is why we approached the crowdfund and why we were essentially happy with what we got elevate every morning with tommy john's second skin underwear the luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com Spotify. TommyJohn.com Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. We didn't even hit really our full target on the crowdfund. But what was good about the crowdfund, because yeah. what it really is, is an extensive marketing campaign. It's exactly that. You know? yeah. so people now know about people you're now making know, a film. Exactly. People now know, you, mm-hmm. now know you're making a, a film. And there was this woman in, uh, I believe she was in Florida. And she had been messaging us through the campaign saying she's going to donate. She's going to donate. <laughs> she didn't donate. And then at the end of the campaign, I was like, she messaged me again. Yeah. And I was like, hey, uh, yeah, I, I started to think it might be a hoax. Yeah. Uh, but she actually gave us double the amount of money we got in the crowd from one person. Wow. 
in the US. Wow. And it's because, you know, she was engaged in this conversation about gentrification and yeah. really wanted to, she really liked the promo video. And that, you know, it's still that donation enabled the film to happen That's fully incredible. in a way that we could appreciate. That's so cool. And Aki was in this film as yes, well. Yes, he was. He um, was. I played football with Aki a couple I of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. He's, yeah. He's, he's a good footballer. He's made his own feature He has. Now, and that, that is beautiful Real. because I feel, yeah. I, when I um, we bumped into each other recently and it was like he was telling me like, you know, the process, seeing how a moving image worked mm-hmm. showed him it could just, you can do it. Yeah. It can be done. Uh-huh. And um, the, it was great to feel like that kind of community around that film yeah. are going off and just doing their own things because he did it DIY mm-hmm. exactly the same way. Same way. And that's doing um, really well now and he's winning awards. Yeah, you know, like yeah. The Last Tree is doing yeah, really well yeah. for you. Yeah. And I think that's, it's, it, we all help each other, right? That's yeah. the point we all support and go, yeah. there's no competition. We're all going, let's do it. And yeah. it's, it's so lovely, isn't it? When people around you are also you know, fighting hard and working, you know, to get stuff made. Oh, it's, it's amazing because, you know, uh, there's so many funny stories uh, and anecdotes around the moving image. Like uh, our, our production designer had never done any production design, but she was doing a curation course, wow. a curation MA at Goldsmiths. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. knew all of the local artists that we wanted to collaborate with on in some of the scenes and whose work we wanted to show. And so she just brought that knowledge of um, that art space in South London mm-hmm. that we were interested in. And we worked together and it, 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 she designed and she built, built stuff in the, in, the, in the perfect way for the film. And it was very, it, we were taking so many risks like that. People say risk, but it didn't even feel like a risk. Um, they just felt right. It just felt organic that to you me. should use them. Yeah. How did you find your crew then? Obviously, you, the shorts you've been making and over that time and bringing yeah. people along. Um, did you just put shout outs out? Uh, again, I have to attribute a lot of the crew finding to NFTS. To be honest, it was wow. through all of the most of them were graduates. Have. Yeah, or some were still students. So Shegan Akinola, who's mm-hmm. now the composer on Doctor Who, yeah, was uh, a student at the time at NFTS, and he saw the campaign and really wanted to be involved. And so um, that was the first time we collaborated when you did the score for a moving image. That's amazing. And do you know what you said there about when you put yourself out there yeah. and say, mm. I'm making a film. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm crowdfunding it. If you want to get involved, whatever. But I'm making a film. Yeah. The amount of people that go, hi, I'll, I'll help you. Oh, yeah. is incredible. Some yeah. you don't want, but yeah. there's a lot who you go, thank you. Yes, I will really, I really appreciate your help. Yeah, yeah. You, you've got to get that. There's that flick in the brain where you've got to go from maybe I can do this too well. I'm doing this by hook or by crook. Yeah. And it's going to work or not. Yeah. And you're just, you're working towards a date, which mm-hmm. is the shoot date. Yeah. And the amount of things you can kind of accumulate on that journey is kind of crazy because you've already just thrown all of your eggs into the basket and there's 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 nothing else that can happen at that point really um so shegan was amazing um and m demiri and kemi uh was i think uh 19 he had i think he hadn't even he's he eventually went to nfts uh to become the youngest uh ma editing student um, in the wow. history of the school but at that wow. point he hadn't even he was I think still in the application process or something something okay um, but he he was the person who I wanted to edit to I met him on the BFI Film Academy course which was being run at NFTF so I was working on that working mm-hmm. with younger filmmakers 
and I think I met him when he was 17 mm -hmm. and he was great on that course it's like a miniature version of NFTS for right. 16 to right. 19 year olds and how were you I mean it's, it's fascinating with, with moving him obviously you want to talk about the last three in a minute yeah. as well but how did you get the a moving image out there how did yeah. I hear about it how did you yeah. get it into the world and say look I'm a filmmaker and look what I'm doing I think it was a combination of um, and it, you can you can chart it as early as the crowdfund because blogs like IndieWire mm. were putting it out there talking about the film yeah. um, and so by the time it was ready the first festival that we landed at was the LA Film Festival yeah. which was, it was a great festival uh, and we were in competition for like the international prize. That was amazing. Me and the crew got to go to LA. Wow. Got to watch the, uh, be a part of the festival, have the screenings and networking. So it, was, uh, it was amazing. You, mm. So, you know, you're all working on this very lo-fi independent project that is super weird. You know, remember, it's, sure, a, it's, sure. a, it's a fusion of fiction, documentary, yeah. performance art. Mm-hmm photography and animation it's just it, in the kind of canon of British film it just didn't seem to have a space no for it's what almost would, Monty Python yeah it's not it's it's super weird <laughs> no one near like Monty Python I'll tell you that about it. but it is in that terms of it's like <laughs> no, but different it, it, you know I, I, mean? I still see it as a comedy to some degree but <laughs> like so I, I actually took the reference as a positive Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, it's a super weird film aesthetically mm. uh, so um everyone's just doing it because they believe in the idea yeah, yeah. and um, we we get it made it goes to LA Film Festival has a great reception then it goes to Black Star Film Festival in Philadelphia which is a very cool uh, festival looking at predominantly African diasporic work uh, wins an award there and then we bring it to London Film Festival and then that really there's a real buzz and support for the film there because it's you know it's a hot button subject mm -hmm. and aesthetically uh, I think the reference to or the way the film was referred to was it was called aesthetically something in the uh, in one of the write-ups which, uh, which I found amazing uh, <laughs> something along the lines of peculiar <laughs> but I enjoyed it because that was that was, that was the, the film right. I mean, image was I always perceive it as a feature length visual art project yeah. you know it's yeah, natural yeah. home could be in the cinema or it could mm -hmm. be in a gallery like that's kind of what I was thinking about when I was making the project so all of this was was, was enjoyable for me yeah. and but it must have now like you say London Filmers and now this must have opened doors for you this must have been a time where or at least you could knock on the doors and they might creep open a little yeah, bit yeah and so I got I guess segue a bit because the whole mm. time I'm doing this with a moving image 2014 was the year that I was on eye features mm. with earlier iterations of the last tree right. so it's important to state that I was working on two films simultaneously wow I didn't know that that's yeah. fascinating so yeah. at the same time doing moving image you're yeah. also with eye features yeah. doing the last three now for those who don't yeah. know those in America eye features is it still going I think it's still, still going still going is a platform where you can put your films in or the process of your films and they will help you develop it and at the end of it it gets whittled down to a couple yeah. of filmmakers or three or four and they give them some money to go and make these yeah, films exactly. so what happened with us on eye features is that it was a very early version of the last treat 
very different to what the film actually became. Okay. Um, We've heard that from a few people who've, who've, who've spoken to who've done eye features. Yeah. It's like, oh, it started out as this and then it kind of... No, it was... <laughs> it, and then you took it back to the original it, when yeah. they'd been dumped by it or whatever. It, it became... Yeah. It just... I think it got... Uh, it started off as one thing, but I think I was trying, I was, it was like, a, I was trying to chip away at it to get it to what I really wanted it to be. Okay. Um, so the year that um, I was on it, it was a very good year. It was uh, God's Own Country, mm-hmm. Lady Jack, Macbeth. Jack Tarling has been yeah. on his podcast. Uh, Lady Macbeth's amazing. Who else was it? Fantastic. The Leveling. Wow. Apostasy. Yeah. That was all and, your year? And, yeah, and my film. So mm-hmm. last three. So that year, uh, Francis, God's Own Country didn't get it. I didn't get it. So we both went off and uh, I remember bumping into Francis uh, in um, East London and we hadn't realised who had got it. And we were like, did you? He, I was like, did you get it? And he was like, nah. And he was like, did you get it? And I was like, nah. So we just had a hug because <laughs> we spent the, at that point it had been a nine month development. <laughs> right. And you had, so we were just like a bit bummed we hadn't got it. Uh, yeah. But those films were cool. I mean, Apostasy, uh, The Leveling, Lady Macbeth, um, particularly William, director of that film, I thought very cool. Yeah. So they, those were the films that officially got the green line. And Francis Lee's God's Own Country didn't. And he didn't. And eventually he got the money and then, which was more than you would get on iFeatures features. Mm -hmm. And he made God's Own Country. And then eventually I got the money, which was way more than you would get on iFeatures, features. And I got to make the last tree the way I wanted to make it. So that's that's quite a good story. That's really nice in the end. At the time, you're probably a little bit pissed off or, or certainly disappointed with the result. But yeah, I will. Now it's a much better. You know, I was organically disappointed, but it made a lot of sense. And Mm -hmm. also what happened, I just went off and made a moving image. um, Cause that was something I was in control of and could make through. Mm -hmm. And, so I think is making the moving image and the, and the process of that really served the last tree really well. Well, it must have done, yeah. And also, it took away that disappointment a little bit by you going, "Well, I'm making a feature now." So yeah, exactly. It's like it was like it's, 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 and I think it's I think that's a hot tip is developing as many things simultaneously as possible. Mm. You will get some rejections. You just want to make sure you have something that you can run into, and and you know take the steam of that rejection and turn it into something positive. It's great advice and it's so true. I mm. started off just having one project and the disappointment when you got a phone call or a thing yeah. didn't go ahead when you've been waiting for weeks for was too big. It still hurts now. And so now I don't. Now I've got, you know, multiple projects that you go, well, if that one falls down for a bit, it's okay. I'll push this one for a bit. Exactly. You yeah. have to, Yeah, right? you have to. Even though some to. people go, well, that's not fair on the other projects. But mm. if you don't, then it's too hard on you. And yeah, you you want to yeah. quit or give up. This is too hard. But Yeah, you know, you have to have multiple projects. And so... um and I learned that because I there's a version where I could have taken that no and just sat on my settee for a minute mm-hmm. and not done much. Mm-hmm. But going out and making a moving image the way we made a moving image was uh, such an important process. Yeah. And I just took that energy from that film and just kept running with it, really. Mm. Yeah. And how did you then... So you then had the disappointment with the last three with eye features. Yeah. From there, how did you get the money how did you make it happen with the moving image yeah no uh, with the last tree yeah from the moving image so after moving image um, and after London Film Festival we collaborate with Verve Pitch Verve Pitches and they they released the film which was great Um, and then um, I did a smaller project I did a short yeah good one Mr. Shakespeare Dear Mr. Shakespeare Dear Mr. Shakespeare yeah which was um, 
again very loose and experimental taking following the kind of same aesthetic language from a moving image and just but in a more condensed short and collaborated with uh, my cinematographer for the last tree still williams on that project mm. but again working with shaganak nola working with m demiri m Kemi. and so that was for i guess for a lot of us our second project and the language was there was a coalescence in the language we were finding more and more interesting ways to bring out the best in each other mm. and i think dear mr shakespeare is a great example of that it wasn't something that had a script it just had the amazing poetry by phoebe boswell and we just spent two and a half days shooting that with you know kind of almost like a visual breakdown but no no scripted mm. scenes or anything like that it's beautiful yeah. i remember we, I, I produced a dance video recently and this is one of the examples she showed me i hadn't mm. seen it mm. and she said oh have a look at this because i want to do it similar to how chola did this and mm. i went oh wow that's pretty amazing and ashley's performances not actually yeah it's Ashley yeah. thomas's yeah. performances mm. stunning yeah you sort of go okay i see what's happening now yeah and really nice and really well made and really interesting yeah it's interesting though you wanted to go do another short though after making a feature was that uh, a conscious choice yeah it wasn't like a conscious it's just it was more like uh, it was an opportunity to do it and i wanted to bring still and the miri and shagman together because i'd worked with still on one project on a different project um but we they, but we hadn't all collectively worked together and we all knew of each other they're all nftfs yeah. guys they were all we were all around at different points so we just i just felt like this is the unit let's have a this is the perfect project it's a five minute short yeah. it's like british council 20k there is a lot we can experiment here let's see what we do i see and then british council they put up the money they you. did they did yeah okay because it, it was part of the um shakespeare lives series so they were making films short films about shakespeare plays and damage shakespeare damage shakespeare is in reference to othello yes yeah moving in to the last trade so by the time damage shakespeare went to sundance yeah and then by the time we had finished that kind of festival run of that film last tree was actually in a place that was healthy had we hadn't got that final we had, we weren't on eye features anymore but that meant i just had time and space to just write the script in a in, in a completely organic way mm -hmm. and by the time that the cycle of the lot and moving image and Demon shakespeare was over it was just appropriately timed that the last tree was ready to go and so bfi were very supportive and um gave us the money and that was basically, basically I that mean, was you it. You made that sound so easy. The amount of people I know. Sorry, if you if you include the the forty minutes of chat, you can see where yeah. like how that came about. Sure, yeah. You know, of course, there was of many a peaks and troughs. Like, yeah, because I, I mean, yeah. they would have been aware of its presence on eye features. Exactly, and, you know, exactly. The history of it, exactly, the development. Exactly. They stuck with it. You know, the same way they stuck with God's Own Country. Yes. So that's yeah. what was key. That yeah. is key. So what, how did you change it? The writing then, I suppose, the process from when you first went with it to yeah. iFeatures to the film that's ended up. What was what had you done differently to make it stand out, to make it as brilliant as it is? What did um, you... I just think it became a... Uh, I think um, iFeatures is, is competitive and I think you're aware that, you know, projects, you're trying to get to that final three. And I think when you're locked in that process you're locked in mm. 
what was good is just having the time to go away from all of that and just not thinking about there's a prize at the end of the process yeah just just right right okay what do you want to what what's the film you want to tell what do you what are you trying to communicate just there's no there's no one here there's no there's just this what what is it mm-hmm. and that that was the key shift for me and so i and that's when i think we as i said you're just chipping away at the marble trying to get to the purest version of the film is how we got to this iteration of the last tree wow. yeah so if i'd made that i feature version i would have hated myself but, uh, <laughs> that's interesting absolutely so i needed to come off the scheme yeah and to find the space and find your own way with yeah it. yeah and also then also need a lot more money yeah <laughs> to make what you to want make to what make what i wanted to make yeah. because it does travel you know, to Nigeria, it yeah, does. Yeah. It's got so much big heart and then yeah. visually stunning moments that do need a bit of money. Yeah, you can't yeah. just go, let's go shoot that in no, Brixton no, in, no. in you know, a room like this. We no. can't do that. No. Um, do you want to tell people what it's about and then we'll play the trailer and then we'll talk about it? Sure, it's a semi-autobiographical story about a young boy, Femi, who's fostered by a white parent in Lincolnshire. And our story picks up when he's biological Nigerian mother comes to pick him up from Lincolnshire to take him to live with her in South London. And he has to work out his new identity in a new space. I wouldn't change being part of you for all the world. You know where you're all my boys? But we're not. She's not coming to take you away. Yeah, promise. There's so much we can do here now that you're home. How are you, love? You settling in, okay? Yeah. I did not raise you to be rude. You didn't raise me. I miss you. I miss you too. Send angels to encamp around Ulufemi. Teach him to be the head and not the tail. School's good, man. What are you gonna do after? You can work for yourself and be free. You wanna be free? I don't feel like we're living in the same house. I come, you go. Look, I'm sorry you're lonely, but it ain't my fault he's not here. You don't know anything. I know he left. One day, I'll leave too. man's got to do what he can to protect his family. We're brothers now. You really think those boys are your friends? I didn't bring you here for this. I just want what was best for you. It's it honestly it's so exciting to watch this film because there was so much um so much to take from it and the performances were out out of this world you know it was like wow okay really went there and got something and it, it drew you in from the startling visuals that you had from the very beginning was that always your idea was to to say well I'm going to do this with this visual storytelling so it's not you know this isn't 
you, some people might say this is a, a crime, you know, drama set in, you know, Brixton or whatever. People go, oh, it's just another gangster movie or whatever. Mm. But it's so not. It's nowhere near that. Mm. It's beautiful. It's lyrical. It's you know, not there's anything wrong with those. But in mm. terms of this is really highbrow. This isn't just people on the streets with guns going, right, mm. well, I'm going to shoot you up. This mm. is really interesting to get inside the mind of your lead character, Femi, here. Yeah, I think, um, you know... I like to think from especially touch, which is why I was referencing mm. as one of the most more important pieces of work that I was really trying to work this language. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, you might have not noticed, but touch is touch and the, the scenes in Lincolnshire in the last year, the same space, exactly the same location. <laughs> um, the wash. Yeah, and wash, so, okay. and so it was very much like I knew the, the one part of the inception of touch was I wanted to see two black actors in a space. I hadn't seen them before mm. doing things that I had seen only done in like independent films like Terrence Malick or something. Yeah. But I hadn't seen that in black British cinema or mm. in British cinema to actors of color in a space in this kind of, in, in a particular tone. So I wanted to, that was part of the genesis of touch. Um, it's like, wanting to do that but also wanted to marry it to my kind of all the stuff I was interested in and kind of like sci-fi nature and all that sort of stuff and so that in a way kind of carries on to The Last Tree um, because it's really a film about subversion uh, in narrative and in form and it's about yeah we kind of have perceptions of what we're going to get if we see a 90% black cast in a British film um, and playing with those stereotypes and trying to reveal something new was very was a very fun part of making the last tree but also aesthetically finding a language for it uh that a fit it like a glove but also elevated it above i guess normal social realism was mm -hmm. very key and it really helped when we mean still clicked with the concept of this singular perspective uh and immersion uh, which was what we were working on in Dear Mr. Shakespeare. Like mm. you can tell by the movement, it's yeah. like trying to immerse you in in the visual world. Um, and so that's what we were, we, we knew we could do it, but we did do it on a bigger scale with the last tree and everything from the sound design to uh, every camera choice is trying to put you into Femi's head, into his perspective. And he's, he's your lead through these three different worlds in a sense. Mm. And it does. There's a there's a beautiful moment where uh, something's just happened, and there he is. It, it's almost like he's floating back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. It, it's, it's a double dolly, double shot. dolly, yeah, right? Yeah. He just stood on the dolly, but yeah. it's just Spike Lee, of course. Spike yeah. Lee, of yeah. course, yeah. Of course. Yeah, but it was so simple in terms of you know filming it wise but beautiful at the time. You're just yeah. like, wow. Yeah. I don't think many filmmakers who'd go, oh, do you know what? I'm going to do that now. Yeah. I'm going to choose to just make you sit inside his mind and the way the camera moved and your the way you held on shots for a certain amount of time it's just beautiful it's really interesting did you find a lot of that in the edit as well or was it always you planned it in a it certain was, way it was always planned um you mm. kind of um 360 environments so and camera support whether it's handheld or on a steady mm -hmm. so that the characters can move freely and you can follow and you create that parameter for the actors 
but you also create that parameter for the movement so it doesn't feel like it's stilted it feels like it's an experience mm-hmm. and again that comes from documentary as well you know it all kind of traces back to wanting to almost create a real environment but then the there's a there's a feeling of how to um elevate just above social realism mm. where you you get the tone it's the performance is real that you feel the cuts everything but something just beyond that is happening with the movement and the performance yeah and you took it from the sort of nigerian aspects is part of your world and it's semi-autobiographical yeah. as you said yeah. is uh was that something you really thought about for quite a while in terms of this is you want to tell a bit of your story i know we always do that as filmmakers anyway you put a lot of ourselves in there yes but was this because this is you know it's close to the bone there's a lot of truthful heartbreaking moments and obviously you're putting this on screen as as you i think that's also part of the reason why it took a, a much longer gestation period than maybe if you were writing something that wasn't that um uh working on something that personal just needed additional time space meditation mm-hmm. working out what parts uh you're revealing what parts you're holding back you know it's a semi-autobiographical film so it's like not 100 percent true in a sense but you're investing a lot of yourself in a project like that mm-hmm. so just working out where the barriers are and being able to tell that story succinctly truthfully rawly as raw as possible but also retain whatever sense of mystique you may have yeah yeah did you um how many days did you get to shoot it's like five weeks i believe five or six weeks that's six day weeks yeah six day weeks that's that's not a bad amount of time and was was it all in one go as well in terms of going across to nigeria was it all okay the fourth week we go to nigeria yeah nigeria was the final week yeah that was the final week okay was that nice to go i mean have you been there quite a bit yeah i've been uh i've been going for some time and but it was always a dream to shoot there yeah and for sam it was actually his first time going back was it and so is he nigerian himself? he's nigerian like, yeah, so no, it was no, that's the lead actor. so all of the yeah. reactions he's having in nigeria very much that wow. he was there for the first time <laughs> so it's that's useful that's very yeah, so yeah, yeah. so and i didn't know that when we cast you know oh, right. so it's it's just it was just it's he told me at some point in the, during the shoot and i was like it's amazing um, and I think it meant a lot for him, you know, mm. on those beating that on the on the beach in those final oh, scenes in particular, terrible. where he's like he's really soaking up. This is his first time on the Lagosian beach, you know, so yeah. that's an, uh, very important. But um, yeah, it was an, it was amazing. I think one of the key innovations in the process that I hadn't done something I hadn't done before was have the editor on set from day one, okay. and that was something that I will always do because yeah, I think it's, it's really important. It's really it? especially now that technology you're, 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 means you see. You see it almost instantaneously yeah. in some yeah. ways. Um, what did you gain from that, though? Because I yeah, love having it's, an editor. It's interesting to hear mm. that because, like, obviously, your process sounds really methodical and mm. careful, mm. but there's still that flexibility in yeah. post that yeah. you want. Like, yeah. so I guess that really, it really kind of says that point more than, say, if you're a filmmaker who is setting up ten cameras and mm. you know, like, doing more of like a Tony Scott type thing. But mm. I think your style is much more from what we've seen from this discussion it's mm. very like well thought out well planned out I think mature gestation there's you, like a, you, you've thought you've considered things like yeah. a lot you, you do it to a point but you don't want to kill it because you uh, you need by over planning you, yeah, yeah you need to uh, it's like you plan to let go yeah 
And if you do enough planning, the more maybe you can let go because it's so the parameters are set. Mm. But, and and you, when you're when you're in the process of letting go, that's when actors can improvise. That's when things can be discovered. And it's always those discoveries that for me have always been the most enjoyable parts of of the process yeah because uh, otherwise if you're doing it exactly like you've planned or your storyboards yeah. it loses the heart and the passion yeah it's it. like a it's like a it's like a dead film it has to it's like it has to, it's an organism it's organic it has to dis- you have to discover things in the day things will mm-hmm. change things will morph performers will uh have ideas you're talking totally. about actor I, might move exactly. across the window and give yeah. you a different um perspective on yeah. things yeah so, absolutely so you've got to be open to it uh in a very uh thoroughly planned environment to some degree yeah no that's very true and and let's talk about the actors then because you mentioned sammy adawumni he's amazing how did you find him and was there not a pressure to get a name if you like with especially with the bfi no not 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 at all actually there was, it was really um sam was just from the first time we saw the self-tape we we just kind of had it we knew so mm. we got him in and we auditioned and Aisha Waters and Shaheen Bega, our casting directors, did such a good job just creating such a, a list of, of uh, an amount of video footage yeah. that we we were seeing some really amazing people and Sam and Ty Golden yeah. were, were some of them. Yeah. And it helped, they actually, what was great is they actually look alike, which is not always a way. No, it's not. Moonlight's Yeah, yeah, they really, but they actually, yeah. You know, we had Sam first. It took a lot younger to find the younger actors mm-hmm. um, because you kind of cast them closer to the time. Yeah. So you avoid any nasty gross spurts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. um, <laughs> Well, interestingly, my uh, film, The Dare, um, was uh, my young actor that I cast because mm-hmm. we then did reshoots a year yeah. later and yeah. then a year later a bit more yeah. he's you know he grew up yeah you know, yeah, that like age where they his voice, yeah, yeah like a beard, beard. <laughs> yeah. and he's amazing a bit of makeup he's still in basketball team how do you how do you because there's a lot of kids in the film mm. in terms of for those scenes yeah. how do you direct them how do you work with your actors uh, well with the with the 11 year olds we just didn't work from script we had a structure of uh, so they never saw the script it was okay. very much a working with actors who were very comfortable working with kids like Denise Black, who's mm-hmm. amazing, mm-hmm. and then it was about building the characters with them, uh, but very much not restricting them because this is a film that is predominantly discovery casting, but performances who've not performed before or have done very few things. So it was very much about not restricting the raw energy that we enjoyed from their tapes. It was very much about curating it so that they had enough ownership and it felt very organic and that's very much how we work with Ty as well right yeah and in terms of Sam in terms of the adults how do you like to uh, work the adults them? again it, it was very not too much rehearsal just very much I'd call them conversations I met with every performer and had conversations about character and journey and then very much just letting go and finding like they they were all very the adults were all they're all professional even newcomers like and it was very much about just always trying to maintain that energy that we enjoyed from those from the tapes and the and the auditions and not encroaching on that too much casting them so close to the bone that they are the character mm-hmm. so therefore it's like whatever kind of decisions they make contextually can work yeah and just just really just mining that Amazing, and and with with the last three, then in terms of getting it out there into the world, after you'd finished it and edited it, yeah, was that 
worrying moment when you're sort of delivering it or were you did you kind of know you had something oh, i think we knew we had something and we had an amazing exec at the bfi lizzie frank and mm-hmm. she she knew it when we, she saw it and we were just very you know i had technically seen most of the film prior to even going to nigeria so i knew what that was informing what i would be doing in nigeria to some degree so when i saw it all together we were all very i think we all knew we had something mm. and so um luckily other people did too <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. this is not always the way no no it's not you think it's amazing look what i've done this is incredible and everyone's like oh god oh god oh god um yeah so the, then the beer fight then we're like okay this is when we're gonna put it out yeah and- so we festivals uh sun got to go back to sundance yeah and great, that was a right. big last year January is about to start this year actually so yeah so that was really important and a great global showcase for the film yeah huge. and you know Picture House uh, saw it out there mm-hmm. and then they picked up the film which gave us um, and gave us a really fantastic run in, in um, September mm-hmm. when it was released last year you know in the cinemas and you couldn't want for better for that for a project like that you know no. they were always going to be the distributor that gave it the most love well, and attention they're perfect for yeah. it aren't they yeah. it's exactly the right kind of art house yeah. indie but also it's got so much heart and yeah. leverage and that, yeah. that works well for them so they they were fantastic and then um, we closed off the year with uh, a couple of before wins yep, for Sam and Rusha which was really something that we it was beautiful to see them pick up those awards yeah. and you yeah. even mentioned on the Empire podcast uh, mm, for yeah. being one of the films of the year which is really I mean that's amazing Amazing. So um, it's done I, really well. It's you, you, you only can hope that people will take the the thing you see in the film, mm. and I, but I think there's a lot that resonates with the last tree when it's in in Sam's search for identity, and and I think also the language is very interesting. Yeah. I agree too. The last three is out now, so you can go watch it and do it. Honestly, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful film. You should be so proud of yourself, you. and, and I am proud of you. You've done an amazing job. Um, what's next? Then quickly tell us what's what now from that and the success. Is it easier? Like, say, is more doors creeping even further open now for you? Uh, definitely. I yeah. think it, um, there's a lot of opportunities to to uh, go out there and try and capitalize on. I just feel. Like for me, it's more of a personal growth. I feel every film should be an evolutionary leap. You should, mm-hmm. I feel like a moving image is one thing, The Last Tree is another, and I'd like to make a similar leap for what I do next. So it's very much about just having a sense of vision about where you want to be, what you want to do. And I feel like probably now more than any time, I have maybe more instruments to do it. So that's, mm. that's hopefully we'll have something to look forward to very soon. Clearly with all of your films so far, they've been kind of grounded in a sense of place and often that's here in the in the UK. And I very much enjoyed the, the end of The Last Tree where I got to go to another space and completely yeah. immerse myself in it. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see what that looks like somewhere else. So where can people follow you on the socials and online? It should be a simple question, but it's, it feels it's like... It's <laughs> uh, It's uh, Twitter, yep. just at Shella Ammo, Instagram, just at Shella Ammo, and my website's just Shella Ammo. 
Dot com. There you go. That was the easiest <laughs> like, answer. Yeah, I, I always forget to to do the social, so I was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. No, it's important, especially our listeners. They will go and follow you. They'll find out what uh, what you want to know to. what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. they want to know what you're doing, but also they can then say, we watched your film. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. And and they'll also say thank you for being on the podcast and chatting about filmmaking. No, I, I love I love thank talking you. about the process. I think sometimes it's it's great to be able to lift the veil and people to see just what the actual nuts and bolts of it are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. not this super a mysterious thing it's very yeah. It's yeah. A, yeah. well you, you're very good at talking about it so, so uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah that works very much um, Robbie where can people follow you just Robbie McCain at Twitter yeah I'm at Giles Alderson and follow at Filmmakers Pod and do get in touch. And if you do like this podcast, tell your friends, help us grow even more. And if you really like it, go to iTunes, give us a five-star review. Mm. Um, Being prepared is everything. You can make your indie film, but know who your audience is and get out there and do it. And remember, if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, Robbie. You've got to send the elevator back down, Giles. There we go. (laughs) Until next Tuesday, we will see you then. Um, The Last Street is out now. Go see Mm. it. Mm, Take care. Shola, thank you very much. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.